financial grown-up guide, saving while setting up a first home or dorm room with grown and flown author, Mary Dell Harrington. You're listening to Financial Grown-Up with me, certified financial planner, Bobby Rebel, author of How to Be a Financial Grown-Up. And you know what? Being a grown-up is really hard, especially when it comes to money, but it's okay. We're going to get there together. We got this. Welcome, everyone. This is the episode I needed so badly years ago when I was sitting at my first home, and even when I was helping my stepkids get ready to move into their first college dorm rooms not so long ago. Our guest today is pretty much the expert on all things adulting. She is Mary Dale Harrington. She is the co-founder of the website Grown and Flown and now the co-author of the new book, Grown and Flown, How to Support Your Teen, Stay Close as a Family, and Raise Independent Adults. Hey, Mary Dale. Hey, Bobby. How are you? Good. I'm so glad we finally got you on the show. And big congratulations on the new book. I should mention that we are going to have your co-author, Lisa Heffernan, on a, did I say her name correctly, I hope? Heffernan, yes. Heffernan, on a future episode. We'll talk more about the book after your tips, but I just want you to give us some context and share with our listeners a little bit about what Grown and Flown is, because I don't know how I didn't know about this community. It is huge, and I'm new to it, but I'm learning, learning so much already. Well, thank you so much again for having me on. I'm thrilled to be here, and I love to talk about Grown and Flown. So Grown and Flown is a site that Lisa and I started when our youngest were in third grade. Those youngest have now graduated from college. But at the time, we became friends and parent volunteers, and by the time our oldest boys had gone off to college, our youngest ones were still in high school, and we were lamenting the fact that no one was writing consistently for parents who have kids in this age group. So we started a blog. That blog has become a website where we have more than 500 writers, and we put up content every single day, all relating to parenting kids in high school and college. But we're also a community. Three years ago, we started a Facebook group called Grown and Flown Parents, and it is insanely engaged. Bobby, you mentioned that you're a member, and we are so happy to have you, but it's a great resource for parents who want to know, uh, share information, ask ideas, get support, share a laugh. There's everything in the group. Yeah, and I'm amazed at how active it is. There are probably 300 posts a day that go up, and Lisa and I really are not the ones who are starting the conversation. This is a very active group. 90% of the members who are in the group are active, which is sort of insanely engaged. Facebook tells us we're one of the most active groups they have. Whoa. All right, everyone should check that out and the book. We'll talk more about the book in a few minutes, but let's get to these five ways to save money while setting up a new home or a dorm room. And we're talking generally about the first time you're moving into a residence, you're kind of starting from scratch. And in many cases, it's not all that big. So number one, you got to do your homework, right? Absolutely. It's really important to gather as much information as you can before you make the purchase one single purchase, any purchase. As far as dorm rooms are concerned, the thing that they have in common is they're all pretty minuscule. But after that point, they can vary pretty wildly. You know, where's the bathroom? Is the bathroom next door with the suite mates or is it down the hall? Do you have bunk beds? Do you have conventional beds? Are they lofted? How much room is under the bed? Those are all really important things to find out because that real estate under a bed is the single most valuable space that a college student will have. My daughter and I got the dimensions on her college website. We drilled down into the residential life section and looked at her specific dorm. And we went to the store with a tape measure and designed the under bed space. And it was really efficient. We used every bit of space under her bed. 
And also, I mean, the truth is with dorm rooms, a lot of furniture is already provided. Sometimes the first home, you're not the first resident. Sometimes the previous owners will or do leave stuff for you. So there might be stuff there you might not even need to buy. It's true. And you have with a first apartment or a first home, you have a general sense of what the space is like, but it makes so much of a difference if you actually have real dimensions before you buy that couch that you absolutely love only to discover that it won't fit in the door. And also, sometimes things are just not allowed, right? Right. No, that's very true. In a dorm room, all of the colleges will list on the sites what you cannot bring. And sometimes you'll, you'll be very surprised, especially if this is the first time that you've taken a kid to college. For example, extension cords, not allowed. Surge protectors, allowed. You know, there are simple things like that where you think, oh, I've got an extension cord, no big deal, I'll throw it in. You really want to look and be very careful because you're accumulating a lot of stuff to take with you with your college student. You just want to make sure you're very careful about what those things are. Yeah, even things that you think are what could be the big deal. We moved my stepson into his college dorm room as a freshman last year, and we brought down a giant beanbag that we already had, from, but it was from upstate New York. We brought it all the way down, took up the whole back of the SUV, and then we get there, and as soon as he moved it in, they said, that is prohibited. Get it right out. I couldn't believe it. To this day, I don't understand what the big deal is, but apparently you can't bring beanbags in that school into your dorm room. Just make sure you're an educated consumer before you make a costly mistake. Exactly right. Let's move on to number two. So this, it's going to sound really obvious, but yet you have some wisdom to lend. Obviously, never pay full price if you could avoid it. But I mean, I've been in the situation where you need something, you want to get your kids settled. If they need this thing, you know, maybe it's a surge protector and you need to get it now. How are you really going to shop around? I mean, I guess good planning. I don't, I don't know. Well, you might as well plan on having a shopping trip the weekend you move your, your teen to college. That just sort of goes with the territory. And before you go, it's a good idea to find out where the box stores are that are the most convenient to your student's college. That's great information to have in advance. If you've done your homework and you have shopped, though, for some of the big things that you know they're going to need, the sheets, the towels, even the tech things, the surge protector, the laundry hamper, you know, there are about 10 things that every college student needs. So if you go with those things, chances are you're going to find retailers that are going to be offering discounts. You may want to go to their website in advance to sign up and see what's being offered. They can text you discounts. You can go to special college nights. This is a massive market. There are $25 billion that are being spent by college parents and college students, according to Deloitte, that estimates, who estimates this every single year. That's an average of $1,300 per family. Lisa and I counted at least three dozen retailers who sell twin XL sheets, and that's kind of the barometer. If you're a retailer selling that size sheet, chances are you're then selling other things for college students. They are hungry for your business. Amazon Prime sold a lot of great dorm things on discount last week for Amazon Prime. And all the retailers have great sales all summer long. And there are student discounts that you can get even if you don't have your student ID yet. Yes, that's right. So if your student does not have their ID, and in most cases they won't the summer before, they have to go to orientation or go to school and start before they get their IDs, have them take a picture of their offer letter so that when they go into a, a computer store or they go into J. Crew or the Madewell or wherever they're doing back to school shopping, they can say, look, I'm going to be a freshman. I don't have my ID yet, but I have a copy. I have proof that I'm a college student or I'm enrolling soon. And it's always great to ask for a discount. All right. Number three, live with your space before buying too much. 
many of us can relate to that where we're so excited to get into a space that we want to just buy, 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 you know, even before we've had a chance to really check things out. I know for the dorm room, as a mom, I was totally guilty of this, especially with our son, who is our oldest child. I wanted to send him with everything that I thought he could possibly use and need because heaven forbid that one day in the fall, he needs an X and he doesn't have that X. It was as if I thought he was moving to the other side of the world instead of Connecticut. And we live in New York. So clearly he wasn't that far away. But when he and our daughter both got to college, I saw that they, that they used what they really needed. They bought a few other things that they hadn't thought of. And then they shoved to the side all the stuff that we thought, or rather I thought, might come in handy. Like what? Well, one thing that we pulled out from under our son's storm bed in May when we moved him out, which was some sort of a shoe holder. I thought he absolutely needed this thing to put all of his shoes in. He had never opened it. It was a great dust collector. It was all smushed, awful looking. Were the shoes just like all over the room, basically? The shoes were all over the room. Even the most meticulous kid, I would say our daughter's pretty organized and meticulous. Our son at that time was not so organized and meticulous. But when we picked them both up, both dorm rooms looked like cyclones had moved through them because they're very small. They're, it's very hard for them to stay organized. They get disgustingly dirty because the kids don't really clean them. And the dorm room that you leave your kid in in August will look pristine. The one you go to pick them up in, in May, you'll want to wear rubber gloves to move them out. Oh my goodness. And actually that's true. Let's go to tip number four, because this, this has to do with the fact that when kids go to college or when you're setting up a first home, this is kind of getting real about adulting, especially you could even take this forward to if you're having, you know, your first baby and you have to outfit a nursery. I mean, this is adulting. This isn't just getting things for a child. This is getting things and getting organized for or as a young adult. And so your fourth point is really that this is kind of a back to school or whatever you want to call it shopping that is totally different for K through 12. This is adult shopping, not shopping for your child. Well, it is really different. This back-to-school shop is entirely different than the ones that we've all been trained as parents to do with our kids when they were in K-12. through Every year, at the beginning of the year, we would get a sheet of paper with all the things that we needed to buy, and we would treat it like a scavenger hunt. The lead parent would take their child to school or to Staples. You would go up and down all the aisles getting folders and binders and pens and markers, whatever it was that was on that list. You diligently checked it off, and you were good to go. My daughter's college sent an item list of 83 things on it, half of which were completely irrelevant for her or unnecessary. We'd been down this road before, so I knew I didn't have to pay total attention to every single thing. Plus, when you go into any store this time of year, you're really hit with all the dorm room essentials that are not like super essential. So like what? What are the things that you see? Because a lot of these lists, by the way, and this goes very much for when you're a first-time parent and you go to set up the nursery, they will hand you lists of what you need to buy for the nursery, what you need to register for. And remember, these lists are putting being put together very often by, at best, schools or stakeholders that aren't necessarily going to directly make money. But very often, they are put together by the people that are selling you this stuff. So what are some of your pet peeve things that are on these lists that people do not need? Well, I'll give you an example of something that is a very popular dorm item that was a really wrong dorm item that Lisa bought for her son. You may have seen these risers that elevate the beds, maybe six inches. We've done that. Yeah. So some are really great because they have USB ports or, you know, you can charge your phone and, and you can plug in your extension cord or, you know, they're, they're multitasking items. Lisa bought them because she knew she, she should do that. They were on somebody's list. 
she went to move her son in and he was in a bunk bed. So if she had used the riser, the person on the top bunk would have been smushed to the ceiling of the dorm room. That's a classic example of not knowing what kind of bed, what kind of dorm room, what the specifics were before you go out and buy. What other kinds of things do you see that are just marketing or because that one I can see is some people would really need it. Right. Oh, yeah. No, I think they work out very well for many beds. It just didn't happen to work out for bunk beds. I think a lot of times the whole cooking, food prep, all those sort of kitcheny items don't really work super well in a dorm room. For one, microwaves could be prohibited. Coffee makers could be prohibited. In most cases, you can have a mini fridge. But that may be the extent of the kind of cooking kitchen thing kids are allowed to have. So to outfit a dorm room, a tiny little dorm room, as if people or kids are going to really do significant cooking could be a big fallacy. Sure, the things are adorable and, you know, really fun and cute and brand new. And you'd love to make sure that your kid would be able to make themselves a snack on their own. But the chances are that's just not going to happen. Better to wait and have them go to school, see if it's something they need. And many of the retailers offer free shipping overnight delivery or two-day delivery, it's not like they're going to really be deprived if they don't have a full dorm soup to nuts when they move in. Better to see what they really need. And the other thing is they'll find great ideas from their hallmates and sweetmates. So they'll, as they wander around and make friends, they'll see, wow, that is such a cool thing. I think that'd be a really great thing to have for my room. The fifth thing I want to get to before we run out of time is to understand why shopping feels so important. And again, this goes for so many transitions in life, whether you're outfitting a nursery, going to college and moving into a dorm room, or you're setting up your first home independently. Well, these are all big pivot points. You know, having a baby, as you said, going to college, all of these things come with a lot of emotional weight. It's not just a change. It's a big, big change. And I think in many cases, it's very common for people to do some emotional shopping at one of these pivot times. Dr. Kit Yarrow, who's a consumer psychologist, has written, I love this quote, shopping can be a rich source of mental preparation. As people shop, they're naturally visualizing how they'll use the products they're considering. And in so doing, they're visualizing their new life. I think that's fascinating because there is something to that. I want to talk more about your book, Grown and Flown, but first I do want to mention that because I do love to read, I don't have time to read all the books that I want. I, I spend a lot of time reading books for the podcast, which is a great thing, but I recently discovered a new tool called Blinkist, and what it basically does is it gives you short summaries of books that you want to read but never seem to get to, and a lot of them are the kind of books that I personally really enjoy because they're educational. They give you some context to different things that you want to maybe incorporate into your business or into your financial life. Things that basically financial grownups would really like. I love Blinkist so much. I actually reached out to them and I've been able to partner with them to support the show. To learn more about them and to get a free trial, you can go to bobbyrebell.com forward slash Blinkist. And if you use my link, bobbyrebell.com forward slash Blinkist. You will also support this show, which I really do appreciate. All right, before I let you go, Mary Dell, Grown and Flown, just quickly, it is basically an extension of your website because it has a very community feel, a lot of contributors, right? That's absolutely right. We're making an audio book or Flatiron Publishing is making an audio book for the book. And they have told us that there are 63 voices that they have cast. Oh my gosh. I know we hadn't counted them up, but we have experts from healthcare and education we have some of the best parenting writers out there. So we are thrilled, really, really thrilled about the book. 
Well, I encourage everyone to check it out. For those who want a review and to learn more about the book, Grown Up Loan is going to be in our monthly roundup of books for financial grownups. That will be in the August edition. So make sure that you are subscribed so you don't miss it. And for links to everything um, that we mentioned in these episodes, you can always go to our show notes. We'll have a link to Grown and Flown and to the Facebook group and all those good things. Those will be at bobbyrebell.com forward slash podcast forward slash Mary Dell Harrington. And by the way, as you guys know, for show notes, or a lot of you know, for show notes on any of the Financial Grown Up podcasts, you can always go to my website, bobbyrebell.com and use the search bar. Just search for something that you heard in the episode, or it can be as simple as just searching under the guest name and that will get you where you want to go. And if you are not, make sure to be direct messaging, DMing us your questions about this and all things adulting. We are going to have Lisa Heffernan, Mary Dale's co-author on an upcoming episode, and she will talk about some of her money stories and more about grown and flown. And we're going to try to incorporate any questions that you guys have about these topics on the episode. So make sure to get in touch with us. The socials are at Bobby Ravel one on Instagram and at Bobby Ravel on Twitter. And thank you for joining us, Mary Dell. Bobby, thank you so much for having me. And thanks to everyone for joining us and for being financial grownups. Financial Grown Up with Bobby Rebel is edited and produced by Steve Stewart and is a BRK Media production.